Hello everyone. So welcome to this impromptu session uh, necessitated by circumstances that uh, unfolded today. And I would say this is the first session that is uh, done for a Gen Z crowd because this is done at a Gen Z timing. I believe most of my contemporaries are probably asleep now. Uh, and let me just uh, set this up. Uh, so I was thinking about talking about the cabinet changes, uh, the reshuffling. Uh, and a few people were texting me. Hi, hi, Saf. A few people were texting me. And the first person to do so was Megan. And, and I... Oh, sorry, and I thought, okay, so I might as well just have this session with her uh, because she had a few uh, questions. And I was also thinking broadly of expanding the, the concept of uh, Tetare and instead of just calling policymakers or politicians, I thought of having people who are, well, I, I hesitate to use the term influencer because there's a, there's a certain <laughs> uh, connotation to it, uh, but what I would say is people who commented on socio-political affairs, and there's a bunch of them uh, that I think you guys should follow. Chief of which, chief of whom I think is Joel Joel Lim. Uh, he was the one who got me started uh, for this, and you have a bunch of other people like Farisha Isha, whom uh, I don't know personally, but I I do follow her stuff. Uh, you have uh, Audrey. Uh, this is awesome, and she does some commentary which is fantastic as well and you have Angie as well I don't know what's what's her Instagram I-L-Y-B-O-N-A-N-G-E-E -E, something like that uh, and and Megan of course and Megan is a student of political science she's a friend of mine she was my former student and she studies politics so I think she is a good to have and she can comment and ask uh, the a pertinent question. So hi, Megan's boyfriend. So, uh, so we'll see uh, how this session goes, and feel free. It's going to be extremely informal, unlike the. It's not that the other sessions are super formal anyway, but uh, it will. We really will uh, play by ear, and will. I don't really have a list of questions prepared. I mean, some people have sent me. Uh, a few people have sent me, so I have a, a list of 10 to 12 questions. I've passed all of them to Megan and she will, in her wisdom, choose which one uh, to uh, to ask and to talk about. And she's not just going to ask questions, she's going to go back and forth with me as well. So Megan, you can send the request and I will accept it. I'm good, very busy because oh. it's final period. <laughs> Oh yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> yes, but I gotta make time for the important things. <laughs> uh, yes, yes, exactly. Some things are bigger than exams and bigger than That's the two right. of us, right? <laughs> so, uh, Megan, you wanna introduce yourself first, briefly? Sure. Okay. Hi everyone. Uh, I'm Megan. Uh, like Prof said, I am a student um, in NTU studying public policy and global affairs. Uh, I'm in my third year, coming to fourth year, and. Um, I mean, besides studying, I also act uh, on TV and commercials, and um, I use like my social media platforms to, you know, talk about like social political issues as well. Okay, and that's why you are the perfect person to have uh, today. So, Megan, maybe I, I'll ask you something first. How did you feel when you saw the uh, cabinet changes or the uh, the changes to the lineup? Okay. Um. Honestly, I wasn't that surprised. 
Okay, I mean, maybe because, like, as a, like, political science student, right, I kind of know that, uh, I kind of knew the moment, um, like, uh, Heng Sui Kiet sat down, like, there would probably be, like, a cab- I mean, there would be a cabinet reshuffle, right? So, obviously, it was just waiting to see, like, who would go where. But, like, the main key players, like, stay the same, right? So, I wasn't really that surprised in that sense. Okay, so what's, what's the sense of people your age? What, are, what have they been talking about? What are the key questions that they've been asking? Honestly, I think the key questions that they've been asking are just really like uh, kind of like basic stuff, like you know what the reshuffle entails, like how it happens, why it happens. I think not a lot of people um, like my age really understand uh, the, the structure of like you know the cabinet and, and how like the CEC is formed, how the next um, like PM is chosen. So I think it's really like about the technical questions like on the baseline. Okay, okay. So you want, do you have any questions that you think I should be answering first? And by the way, mm. for everybody uh, listening, you can just type in your questions uh, and, and we'll try to answer as many as possible. Yes, okay. Yeah. I, think, I think maybe the first, like, most important question would be, like, what the reshuffling is uh, and how it happens and what it entails. So I feel like we should cover these, like, basic points first. Okay. So there are, uh, so basically this reshuffling, okay, so... First of all, there was a reshuffle that happened right after the GE, right? So this reshuffle is pretty much uh, not supposed to happen and it was initiated by the resignation or not the resignation, the announcement that DPM Heng would step aside, right? So, so and there, there, I mean, you can see this from the, from the reshuffling. For instance, Minister Ong Yikang was, was barely a year into his transport portfolio and he is moved to the health ministry. Uh, Lawrence Wong, Minister Lawrence Wong, uh, is was barely a year into the education portfolio, and he is moved to the finance ministry. Of course, he had some experience as second minister, but he's helming it uh, now. So obviously, that's not the ideal situation, right? So, so that's that's the first thing. So other than that, so those are the two. There, there are three major movements, I would say, right? So, Minister Ong, Minister Lawrence Wong, and Minister Chan Chun Sik, who moved to education. Uh, and of course, you had other, there are seven uh, movements. Uh, so, those are the three main ones. You had Iswaran and Jyotyo and Tan Siling as well. But the, the three front runners, I would say, for the PM ship, uh, those are what I think a lot of people are asking about. I already in the comments, I already see uh, some people some people asking questions about, oh, is this Lawrence Wong going to be the next PM and stuff? But hold your horses, we'll get there. I don't want to. I don't want to give the punchline away too soon. Then people will leave already. <laughs> we gotta leave that to the end of the of the chat. <laughs> yes. Leave that Our to positions. the end. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. So uh, that that would be the uh, the cabinet reshuffle. Now the CEC, the Central Executive Committee, is slightly different. So the Central Executive Committee is voted by the party cadres, and who is a party cadre? Right, a party cadre is somebody who's been selected to be there. And then you have to go through interviews and you're selected, nominated by an MP. So maybe you've been helping out with the MP for a while. And then the MP puts up your name and then uh, the CEC, members of the cabinet, will look at you and they will vet whether you are worthy enough to be a cadre. Uh, and then you have 12 elected positions in the CEC voted by the cadres. And that usually tells us how popular each person is within the party. Now, the CEC 
uh, the voting for the CEC it does is not the be all and all because the PM can just co op uh, the CEC can co op people into the CEC. But it tells us about how popular you are with your own base. So it's still meaningful, right? Uh, so. Uh, the CEC is not the cabinet. Usually, there is overlap. There, there are a lot of overlaps, but it doesn't have to be uh, that way. Uh, Dr. Tan Chengbo, when he was in the PEP, he was in the CEC, but he was never a minister. Yeah. So the CEC is quite different from the cabinet. Did I answer the question, Megan? Um. Yeah. So I, I mean, then another question that like you know somebody had was like, how come? the cabinet can be reshuffled so easily because obviously, you know, every ministry entails like a different job scope, a different set of like skills. Right. And then now, you know, we, we see um, like uh, Chan Chun saying like in education, for example. Right. So it's like, uh, where, why, where does why, that come why, from? Why the smile? Why the smile? <laughs> Chan Chun Singh in education. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, he doesn't exactly, you know, when you think of him, like education doesn't exactly come to mind, you know. Okay. Because he's like a, like a paper general, right? <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, so... <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so what I would say is right. So, uh, Minister, Ch okay, so that's that's there are a few things in there, right? So, so let's explore that uh, them one by one, right? So, first of all, when can a reshuffle happen? It can happen anytime. It can happen anytime, right? So, uh, it's up to the discretion of the PM, of course, on the advice of his senior colleagues. So it can happen whenever uh, he feels there is a need. And right now, the need is because of DPM Hing stepping aside, right? And the succession plan being uh, impeded or affected. Right? So the cabinet reshuffling is a response to that. So that's the first thing. Second thing, what does it take to be a minister? And a minister, right? Do you really need to be the, the person who knows the most about that particular ministry, that particular portfolio? And I would argue no, actually. Because you are sort of the leader and you are setting the broad direction and vision for that particular ministry. The nitty-gritty, a lot of times the senior civil servants know better than the ministers. right? Because ministers come and go, uh, they get elected, mm -hmm. uh, sometimes they are elected, I mean very rarely they are not elected, uh, not re-elected. But the permanent secretaries are there a lot and they know the the details, the ins and outs of each particular ministry. So uh, I would say it's not that crucial, not that crucial. Like you don't have to be, to have been a teacher or a professor to be the Minister of Education, right? You don't have to have been a doctor to be the Minister of Health. I mean, I think it's a benefit, uh, but you don't have to, you don't have to, right? So uh, I think we do not have to... Uh, so I, I am not sure whether the, the term paper general is is being kind to Minister Chan <laughs> So I think I think yeah, because there are some things that you get from being in the army, right? You get the discipline, you get the rigor, uh, and you get the organizational skills. Of course there are some downsides to that as well, right? For instance, uh in the army it's all about hierarchy. It's all about hierarchy. So how receptive are you to criticisms from people who have less power than you, right? Uh, but I don't think that necessarily makes a person not qualified to be a minister. But I think a general who moves to the ministries, have, uh, they, they have to bear that in mind. That dealing with men and women who are in uniform groups is not the same as dealing with an increasingly demanding and sophisticated citizenry. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think sure. I, I cover all the bases there. Yes. 
Okay, maybe yes. if we can like zoom in a little bit, right? Sure, so, like, sure. Let's just talk about like why um like the like the shift in the finance ministry has kind of like um caused this like entire shift like within the cabinet itself. So like, right. what is the importance of like the finance minister? Right. Okay. So uh, so there are a few. Okay, all ministries are important. All of them are important. That's why you have a ministry, right? Otherwise, if they are not important, it doesn't make sense to have that portfolio. But clearly, some are more important than others, right? Anybody who tells you, I mean, of course, I mean, to be politically, I mean, if you are, want to be politically correct, you will say all are equally important. But we know that is not the case. And I would say there are the big five, right? Big five plus one, I would say. So... The Ministry of Defense, the Minister of Foreign Affairs, <laughs> the Minister. So I see somebody say, except MSF lah. It's not. <laughs> it's less important. Yeah, it's still important, but I don't think anybody would seriously say MSF is as important as Minister of Finance. So the Big Five: MinDef, uh, Minister of Home Affairs, uh, Ministry of uh, Foreign Affairs, uh, and you have the Ministry of Trade and Industry, right? So uh, did, did I say five already? Uh, no, MinDef, I, I think... MHA. MFA, uh, Ministry of uh, Trade and Industry, and Ministry of Finance. Okay. Yes, that's right. So, so the five of them, and you can see you can add in the Ministry of Education as well. I would say it's probably just slightly less important than the five, but but there is there is something there as well. Now, yes, so law law is definitely important, but in this case, it's not much, but it's uh, the position is held by the Minister of Home Affairs as well. So, so I treat that as one. So these are, are the big five plus one, right? So Minister Lawrence Wong moving to finance, I think that is definitely, definitely uh, important. important. However, however, and if you look at the history of, one way to look at which is more important, you look at the history of a particular ministry, where the ministers ended up. Right, like the ministers of transport, they ended up uh, in retirement usually. Right? <laughs> ministers of finance and ministers of education go on to become PM or DPM. Right, so uh, Minister Lawrence Wong becoming minister that's very important for sure, and I think it tells us a lot about uh, who is uh, where uh, in the hierarchy. But Minister Chan Chun Singh becoming minister of education, I think is is pretty important as well because I think this is my assessment. By the way, there's no there's no inside information, okay? There's no inside information. <laughs> anybody who's looking for inside information, I'm not the person to ask. Uh, so this is just pure speculation, hopefully based on intelligent guesswork or somewhat intelligent guesswork. <laughs> so uh, Minister Chan Chun Singh moving to education, I think even though MTI is more important than uh, education, I would say. However, the Minister of Education gets to meet the public far more uh, because a lot of people are directly impacted by that, are directly impact, impacted by the education system. And therefore, Minister Chan Chun Singh, sort of, uh, he has a chance to maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe rehabilitate is too strong a word, but I think maybe to improve his public image, I think, through the Minister of Education. So, to answer the question very, very directly, I think where we are today is the same as where we are yesterday. There are three there are three important. Uh, there are three front runners: uh, Minister Lawrence Wong, Minister Chan Chun Seng, Minister Ong Yukang, and the three of them are where they were yesterday. So, Minister Ong Yukang went to health, which is important, 
especially in the time of pandemic and the fact that he's a co-chair of uh, the ministerial task force. However, he's still not in the big five, right? So I think they are the three frontrunners still, uh, but the two of them are probably slightly ahead based on what we, uh, what we know from the cabinet positions. You know, there is, it's a very... <clears throat> uh, in politics, anything can happen. Who knows? Right? Who knows? In three years' time, it may not be the, the three of them. Right? So you never know. But based on what we know now. Right? Uh, so there is a comment by Alfian saying that the ministerial rotation becomes a way to prevent ministers from becoming attached to particular ministries and turning them into their power bases. And I think uh, for Minister of Defence, for instance, right, uh, that, that has been an important... Uh, of, for instance, you know, the chief of army is rotated a lot and one of the benefits of the rotation of the chief of army is so that you don't build your own power base, right? Whether that's the intention is a different thing, but that's one of the benefits, yeah. So there, there may be something to that as well. Uh, there is something to them gaining experience from different ministries as well because the skill sets uh, may be different as well for different ministries. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, maybe for those who don't have, like, as much context, you mentioned that um, Chan Chun Sing entering, like, you know, Ministry of Education might be a chance for him to, like, improve his image. Uh, <laughs> would you like to expound on that? Like, <laughs> the reasons why? And do you think, like, maybe that was one of the key reasons that uh, he was appointed to Ministry of Education? So, asking me all the difficult questions, trying to <laughs> get me into trouble. spicy question. Okay, so, uh, but the right question to ask, I think. Okay, so just... I know this is going to be an extremely unpopular opinion and I get that and it's fine. You can disagree. You can type in your head for me. But I am <laughs> quite a fan of Minister Chan. Okay? <laughs> so I, I think... followers after this. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think he's, uh, he's very brilliant from, from my interactions with, with him. Okay, it's not that I, I have him on WhatsApp or anything, right? but I've been in a... Uh, a couple of uh, sessions with him and I do find that he's quite sharp and quite brilliant and what you see is what you get with him, right? So, now, I do, yes, yes, I know. I mean, Amanda is saying, oh my God, yes, I understand, I understand. <laughs> Nabila is saying, okay, time to leave. Okay, I get it. I get it. It's okay, guys, you can agree to this. Okay, now, now, I do think part of the criticism towards Minister Chan is it does come from an elitist place. Part of it. it does come, oh, he doesn't speak good English, he speaks like a being and so, and so on and so forth. So I don't like that strand of criticism, right? However, hashtag cancel wallet, okay? <laughs> cancel culture is real, guys. Okay, so however, I do think that uh, his public image is probably not the best. I mean, uh, it he may come across as, from what I've, I've talked to people, and I, I, that was exactly the what I was going to use with it, Sparkle. Uh, he does come across as condescending at times, and I think that's something that he really needs to work on. Uh, I think uh, we are, uh, I think we need to, uh, I mean, he needs to bear that in mind. I think him going to uh, the Minister of Education is probably a chance for him, for him to do that, to work on the public image. And, and I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree with the comments here. We are choosing leaders and politicians. Often the leader doesn't have to be the best, the smartest person in the room. You don't have to be, right? Because what you need to be able to do is to galvanize people to set the vision and direction for the ministry and for the country. Yeah. Okay. And, um, you know, speaking of 
Ministry of Education, I, I saw a comment that said, you know, Ong Ye Kang is such a people's person and, and you know, it's disheartening to see that he was kind of like, I mean, like, like he before he was um, moved to health, he was at transport, right? And that's kind of like, right. you, you can say that he was like sidelined in a sense. Maybe, would you like to comment on, on why that <laughs> might be the case and like why he didn't kind of become a front runner for the next, right, you know, right. as the next so, PM? So there were hints, there were hints that he wasn't um, at the top of the packing order, shall we say, right? So I, I remember before the previous, I think it was the 2018 PAP uh, CEC, Straits Times actually ran uh, an article uh, saying that Ong Ye Kang is not in the running uh, to be PM or to be in the, uh, yeah, to be PM, I think, and according to senior PAP sources, right? And Straits Times wouldn't run that article unless they really got that from the senior PAP source, uh, from uh, whether it's cadres or whether it's uh, office holders, I don't know. So there, there seems to be that. But it's it's not a complete sidelining, right? It's still in the cabinet. Yeah, but uh, the Minister of Transport is probably... I mean, as I said, it's not it's an important one, not as important as the other positions, probably. So why that happened, I honestly don't know. I honestly don't know why. Uh, but uh, looking at the at the... Uh, surveys that we have, you know, from black box and even anecdotally, when you ask people, a lot of them want Ong Ye Kang to be the prime minister. I don't know. What, what, what do you think, Megan, from your own circles? Hmm. I would say that my circle would not really be like a fair representation of of the general public's like. None sentiment. of our circles are. Yeah, right? but, yeah. I, mean, no, but I think, I think you because... need to add up all these circles, yeah. Yeah, but because like, uh, you know, like in a PBGA setting, like political science setting, like um, Ong Ye Kang is a lot more like accessible and, and because of that like he does have like a good image right so when and, and then you know with Heng Sui Kiet like having like a stroke and then the the whole like East Coast plan saga and how he didn't perform as well during um, the GE 2020 like all these things were, were kind of like talked about like in my circles but I, I'm I don't I don't really see anybody like having any like strong opinions on like who should be the next PM. I see. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So do they have a strong opinion on who shouldn't be the next PM? No, I think it was only like doubts about whether Heng Sui Kiet could be like a good ah, right. Yeah, but I right. think but I, I don't think a lot of that was, you know, based on like personal opinion, but rather like seeing what is in the media and right, then being like, right. oh yeah, maybe he isn't like a good um, right. a, a good candidate for to be the next like, PM. Right, right. Okay, okay. Yeah. So there, are, there are a couple of interesting comments here that I I wanted to address. Uh, Yang Pang four eight nine six said that we honestly don't have a leader that is half of LKY. I don't think that those kinds of comparisons are useful. We don't have LKY anymore, right? That's just a fact. We have to move on. Okay. So we cannot keep saying that. Oh, there's yeah. Of course, <laughs> there will there will never be another LKY, right? So there's no point harping on that. We just have to work with what we have, right? Uh, the second one is uh, Ong's, Ong Yikang's ability to speak Chinese is an advantage in garnering the older generation, the Chinese educated. Just the comment afterwards uh, by Amanda to juxtapose it. Could it be because of his links to Barisan Socialists? I don't, I don't <laughs> think, I don't think uh, that is the case. But I do think that it, that would be his uh, strong uh, suit. Ong Yikang... Uh, the biggest advantage for him, the biggest thing in his favor, I think he he can really connect the English educator and the Chinese educated world in a way that nobody else can. Right? Uh, Chan Chun Singh, he speaks excellent Malay. For instance, uh, that that would be his his strength, right? So it's not 
it's not a prerequisite to be prime minister it just so happened that the previous three ministers have all spoken excellent malay as well right so that has to be an advantage especially uh, geopolitically as well so each of them have their own uh, drawbacks and advantages as with every human being right yeah agree okay so i mean on the topic of of ong ye kang you know um uh i think someone asked do you think lawrence wong and ong ye kang will be the new hing sui kit chan chun sing duo so ong ye kang being um uh his second uh, lawrence's second hand man yeah 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 so uh i i not second hand right hand oh right, <laughs> right hand sorry right. Oh. i was reading right off the message <laughs> right right okay yeah so the message the message can have probably yeah so Uh, so right and uh, i think uh, it's too early to say it's too early to say what i would say is at the moment it does seem like the two front runners are still as they were yesterday which is uh, who are Lawrence Wong Lawrence Wong and Chan Chun Sing so i don't think that it's Lawrence Wong and Ong Ye Kung uh, as the top mm-hmm. two just based on the cabinet positions yeah so at the moment i wouldn't say that Okay so you you mentioned you know cabinet positions and I think one of the like more popular sentiments that I've seen today on social media is is the idea that the finance minister is necessarily the next PM uh maybe yeah. we yeah yeah so uh, not all finance ministers have become PM uh but the PMs uh tend I mean if you are a finance minister you have more of a chance to become but we know that it's not a guarantee just from DPM him Right, he was the previous finance minister, so we know that. I know the word is thrown about a lot, to the point that it's almost meaningless, unprecedented. But we are really in unprecedented times, right? So, while history serves as a guide, and I'm using history as well as a guide, I don't think it's definitive, right? So I do not think that just because Lawrence Wong is finance minister, that he's a show in for the prime minister. I don't think that's the case. I would say he's one of the two, uh, to be uh, the the top. uh that one of the two top candidates right and and would the you know the connection that people make between you know being the finance minister and then being the finance minister being the next pm is that to do with like um how important the ministry is ah uh, yes because it's one of the you know i was in a forum many many years ago and uh by the way go chok tong was never uh, was never the minister of uh, finance he was the minister of I'm just looking at it. it was the minister of defense or the minister of health and minister of trade and industry right so uh and you know you have taman go king sui uh, they are not they are not exactly uh, they 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 did not become prime minister so it's an advantage but it's not a shoot in as i said right uh, so your question was what again <laughs> Oh, was, uh, why why people make the connection between? Ah, right, right. Because and, yeah. so uh, so I was saying I was at a forum uh, many many years ago, and PM Lee actually said that the two most important positions that he had, uh, I don't know whether he meant the two or the the two most or two of the most, right? But he did mention only these two, which is which are finance and defense, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because one is about uh spending and everything else hinges on the budget and that's based on the finance minister all the other ministries and the other is about the survival and security of the country right uh so there is a question uh, why won't you consider gan kim yong as a front runner because i don't think he is a front runner uh, i don't think that uh that has been talked about and i don't think uh it would make sense uh that uh, he is a front runner but i say as i say you know a lot of things can change but uh, at the moment i don't see him as a front runner yeah okay uh, i i saw an interesting comment that yeah. the singapore political system 
is successful because we have had strong dictators like Lee Kuan Yew and Lee Hsien Long. <laughs> no, I wouldn't really call Lee Hsien Long a dictator, but okay. Uh, and, and with uh, Heng Sui Kiet or Chan Chun Singh or any of the frontrunners, I don't feel confident in Singapore's future, which I think leads me to my question about um, the 4G um, leadership as well as like the 4G ministers. I, I think like one of the sentiments that I have heard is that, you know, we don't really like, there isn't really confidence in the 4G leaders and it's something that has been going on for a really long time. And, and somehow I feel like that trust still hasn't been fostered. Right. Like since, you know, GE 2020, which which was really like a, a signal to the PAP, you know, right. that, that, that um, like it was not like a, as powerful of a mandate as, as they had hoped. Right. right. So right. Uh, maybe can you like comment on the 4G leadership? Sure. Okay. So so there's a lot. Uh, there's a lot in that. So that's a good, uh, good comment or good question. Well, first first of all, I wouldn't call them dictators, right? So I mean, political scientists, we are a bit more careful with with the terminologies, right? Because the moment you say, "Oh, Stalin is a dictator," and then the PAP is a dictatorship, and then the term dictatorship sorts sorts of loses its meaning, right? So what? Uh, people would say Singapore is a competitive authoritarian regime or an illiberal democracy, which one of the two, right? Because you have elections and the elections are not fraudulent, but the elections are not, com they are free, but they're not completely fair as well, right? So, so that's the first thing I would say. Second thing, we must also be careful of romanticizing the, also of authoritarianism, as Heikel said, that, uh, that works as well. Second thing, we must be very careful of romanticizing the past and mythologizing people from the past, right? In uh, PM, when Lee Kuan Yew was PM, uh, towards the end of his reign, the vote share was already decreasing. When, when PM Go uh, became PM, uh, he got about 61%. But before that, uh, it wasn't that far in Lee Kuan Yew's final uh, general election. Right? So, and the questions that we ask of the 4G, are, so that's the first thing. Second thing, the questions we ask of the 4G are the same questions that people ask of the 2nd G when they took over, the 2G, then the, the 3G as well. Uh, however, however, I would say there is a qualitative difference this time because firstly, there isn't somebody who's heads and shoulders above everybody else. Uh, and, and maybe that's, that's a difference between the 4G and the, the previous uh, generations of leaders. Uh, and secondly, there, this, there, there does seem to be this inability or lack of ability to connect uh, with Singaporeans. And I think uh, the 4G needs to work on the reconnecting of the ground. Mm -hmm. uh, it helps if you're a good orator. It helps. It helps if you have some charisma. I think it definitely helps. Uh, so it, I think uh, they need to work on that. Uh, and it's it's not a, uh, it's not that distrust cannot be regained. I think it's very much can be regained. Uh, I think they they really need to work on connecting with the ground, understanding people more, and being less authoritative or less uh, less authoritarian in many ways. Uh, I think they they can do that and they should do that. And I think the trust will follow. Right. So do you think like with the four G leaders, the issue is trust? like only trust or do you think it is also a, a matter of you know capability because i feel like um there has there's just been this like idea that they are not as capable as like our previous yeah so leaders. i think that the, the two i don't think uh are exclusive mm -hmm. i don't think they are they are mutually exclusive uh, i think the trust is uh, related uh, to the perception in their uh, their 
in their capabilities, the, the beliefs of the electorate in, in the forges uh, abilities. So I think uh, they have to they have to work on that as well. So and the more they are able to show that they can handle different ministries and they can connect with the people, the more the perception in their capabilities will change as well. So I think the two are very much related. Uh, so there is a question by Sean Chong. By the way, I some of the comments you see I don't see. So Oh really? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know why. Oh, okay, but, okay. oh, by the way, for those who do not know that Megan is my social media advisor. She's the one who <laughs> I go to for anything on Instagram Live. She's the one who basically yes. <laughs> advises. I'm, I'm me the force behind all the political knowledge. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so my my knowledge about Instagram Live can can fit comfortably at the back of a stamp. So <laughs> only Megan, <laughs> Megan is the one who's helping me mostly. So, so there is a question from Sean Chong. Why do you think that it's mostly 4G leaders that are moved around while most 3G ministers still retain their posts? Does this signify that the 4G is not prepared to fully take over yet? Yes, that's precisely what it signifies. Uh, so, I mean, the fact that it's not handed over yet, that also shows that the 4G is not ready to to take over, right? Even though PM Lee had intentions initially to uh, to hand over. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, I, I so, saw a really yeah, interesting yeah, question sure. actually from Irfanis um, asking whether moving moving forward, how can the PAP institutionalize succession planning so that uncertainties like this would be mitigated? And would uncertain succession be the norm in the future? I think that's quite an interesting question because, you know, with um, Lee Sien Long, even though when, when he kind of like uh, entered this role, he said that he would be, you know, working closely to, to groom the next leader to yep. like, take over. And, and you know, you wrote in your book that, that it's something that he has kind of like been a little bit slow about and he's really like taken his time. So what do you think about that? Firstly, thanks for plugging the book. Right, everybody <laughs> buy the book. I gotta I'll pull it out right now. That's why you're the right person everybody to have this. So... Buy this. <laughs> okay, so thanks. Thanks, Megan. So, uh, so that's uh, that's a good question by Irfan, who's also a PPGA uh, student. He's in year one. So, I think we should expect that uh, uncertain succession to be the norm. Uh, well, I hope it is at least, right? Because you know the idea that uh, we have, uh, we need to identify the prime minister ten years in advance. I mean, I I don't necessarily see that always as useful uh, because you know sometimes people even in their cabinet positions they bloom a little late like for instance would minister lawrence won't be in the running if it wasn't because of covid right uh, and he basically stepped into a position uh, in and he blossomed during a time of crisis right if the crisis didn't happen we probably wouldn't see this in him so it's okay i think for uncertain succession i, th- I don't think we need to know who the next prime minister is in 10 years time for instance and also i genuinely believe any politician worth his or her salt should want to be should want to be the prime minister should want because if you feel that uh, you look shocked megan what, what's so <laughs> shocking about that statement <laughs> uh, what's so shocking I... about that statement I don't know. I mean, maybe just a personal perspective thing, which is that like, I could never imagine, like as much as I love politics, I could never imagine myself being like a minister because, you know, every, every, like, every um, like, older person, right, when I tell them, like, oh, I'm studying political, I'm like, oh, do you want to be a minister? Right? And right. even if I were to, like, step into, like, a minister role, for example, like, I could not imagine, like, having the, like, I don't know, like, bravado and, like, tenacity to, you know, <laughs> See, imagine but, being But like you're not in politics, so you're right. So you're not, in, that's why you're not in politics. 
right? But if you are in politics, I would want that person to think that he or she should be prime minister. Because if you you are in politics because you want to change policy or you want to affect uh, people as much as possible. And right. to affect the most number of people, you have to go higher up, right? And, yeah. especially, and the prime minister is as, as high as you can go in our system, right? So every politician worth his or her salt, I think, should want to be prime minister. And there's nothing wrong with that. The problem, I think, is because we think, oh, there's something not right about wanting to be to be the prime minister, right? right. Uh, mm. So we expect a certain sense of humility and, you know, I don't know whether you know this, uh, Megan, but you know when when Muslims, right, when they are praying together in uh, in a common prayer room with strangers, right, and then everyone at the start, because there will be a leader called the Imam, right, everyone will pretend, oh, why don't you go, why don't you go, you know? <laughs> so just, just to show, you know, uh, <laughs> a, a false sense of humility or maybe a true sense of humility, yeah, but that's, that's for religion, that's different for politics, right, I do want people who believe that they are good enough mm. to, to step forward, right, and the fact that you are minister, obviously you have you should have ambition. So what, what's my point? My point is there's nothing wrong if in the future we see healthy competition within parties for them to be prime minister. I don't think there's anything wrong or unnatural about that. Mm, I think okay, to pretend okay. that that should be the case, that's unhealthy, I think, mm -hmm. personally. Now, healthy competition doesn't have to lead to splits necessarily. The danger is it can lead to splits. Now, that would be disastrous for the PAP. Right, but I think competition within the party is is a good thing. Right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, I'm seeing like, yeah. a lot of really great great questions. Let me sure, get through sure. them one at a time. So sure. I mean, uh, to just end end like that question, somebody asked: Is the shorter runway for the 4G leadership a mistake by the 3G? Uh, I'm not sure what uh what short. How long is a long runway? I mean, they have been ministers for 10 years. Is 10 years not enough? I mean, I, I don't know. What, do you need 20 years as a, prime, uh, as a minister for you to take over as prime minister? I don't necessarily think it's a mistake. Yeah. So, I mean, 10 years is enough. 10 years is enough. I mean, it's more than enough uh, as a minister and then to start preparing you for, to be a prime minister. You know, in many other countries, right, you come... You are the leader of the opposition, then you become the prime minister when you win the next election, right? You, some of them have never been ministers before. And then they become uh, the prime minister and the country still functions. So I don't think it's, you need to have 20, 30 years of experience. So I, I wouldn't say it's a mistake or oversight by the 3G at all. Right, okay. And I have, I see this question by Iza Hazi. If... There will be more strong opposition party figures as MPs. Uh, sorry, can you repeat? Just now the alarm came on, so <laughs> I was locked up for okay. a while. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, she says, how do you two think the next PM will deal with leading Singapore if there will be more strong opposition party figures as MPs? And I think to add on to this question, like something that I would be wondering is, like, what would the necessary skills be for the next PM to, to deal with you know, the, the changing demographic of voters, like younger right. voters who, who want more, you know, like uh, citizen-centric or like more consultative um, policy-making. Right, right. Okay, okay. So excellent question by Isa. I think the GE20, GE2020 should serve uh, as a reminder. And I think the messages that we got uh, from the PAP leadership were the right messages where Minister Shanmugam was talking about soul-searching 
and talking about younger people see things differently, especially race and religion. And I think the 4G needs to understand that. And they need to understand that what worked in the past may not work in the future, right? You can imagine that the statement on Raisa Han probably would not have backfired 20 years ago in the way that it did this time around. Right? So moving forward, I think they need to do less of that. Uh, and they need to accept that the opposition, most of them, if not all of them, they are there because they've, they, are also, they also love the country. They have a different view about how they should run the how the country should be run but that's okay in the in the marketplace of ideas let let people compete and the best ideas will emerge i don't think we need to brand somebody who disagrees with us as a traitor or uh, as as some as subhuman or anything else and i i hope to see that that is what the 4g will do later on in the future mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so do you think um the 4g leadership is when we will see a more consultative approach? I don't know, you know. I don't know. So what I would say is generally you see, you have seen a more consultative approach over the years. But what I would say probably is not to the level that many people want. Not, not to the uh, level people want. So I hope, I hope that we see this uh, in the 4G. Whether we will, I don't know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And how do you think that would look like, you know, ideally? Uh, okay, so ideally, first of all, uh, more, more PAP ministers or office holders should come on Te Tarik uh, so... <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that's the most important step. <laughs> that's the most important. That would be the best, the best marker, right? To show that they are more consultative and more open, <laughs> yeah. willing to take uh, difficult questions. I think they should come and they should do more. Uh, and I, I, you know, I mean that uh, in a whimsical way, but also partly seriously. I mean, not, not my show. Uh, specifically, although that would be great, but I think they need to engage more and more mm-hmm. with people who they uh, who disagree with them more vo- vociferously. Uh, and I think practically you can see that you. I mean, there are easy ways to do that, like have more consultations with the opposition, for instance. Nothing wrong with that, or even with uh, civil society people you would have deemed to be, you know beyond the pill in the past, for instance, right? You know, when Professor Tommy Koh said that Alfian Sa'ad is a loving critic, Professor Tommy Koh is not exactly an opposition lover or anything. He's part of the establishment. And I think that's the way the 4G people should, should go, right? Uh, and I don't always uh, agree with Alfian Sa'ad, but I think he's one of the most brilliant people I've... I've I wish, every time I see him write, I wish I could write like that as well, right? So not just him, anybody else... Uh, Anybody else who previously, you know, you think, oh, these are not the uh, the people that we should be engaging with. Yeah, so engage uh, Amrin, somebody said, I said, the TikTok MP, don't remind me of that TikTok, but, but I, I think have MPs tried. should stay I off TikTok, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Very good honest advice. Opinion. Very good advice, yeah. I have seen some, not, not in Singapore, overseas MPs doing good politically informative uh TikTok videos like Said Sadiq's one. I would say, have you seen them? Maybe? No, no, I've not. I've not. I think I think they're pretty okay. Like, I mean, I mean TikTok. I mean, there's there's only so. I mean, how okay can TikTok be, right? But it's as okay as it gets. Anyway, by the way, Megan is also a TikTok star. Uh, the only <laughs> thing I I dislike about her, there's. <laughs> Yeah, so, so yeah, so I think uh, what you say is good advice. That's okay. Sometimes when they go on TikTok, they they seem like they they are appearing too hard. 
appearing too hard. They are trying too hard. They are trying too hard. Uh, and sometimes it doesn't work. Yeah. So I don't know. I think ministers like if they want to get on TikTok, they shouldn't follow TikTok trends. They should use it like in an informative way. Kind right, of like right. the way like you might use like an Instagram video for example. Right, 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 right. Yeah, I I think that's good advice. And I think you know people can see through pretentiousness. I think increasingly so. Uh, so you must try. You must try I know, to I be as authentic. I know. I just know that that there are there is one single name in everybody's mind right now about the MP <laughs> who should stay on TikTok. Who <laughs> is? I'm not gonna say it. <laughs> okay. You don't know. You don't know. Well, you are you talking know? about? Are you talking about my MP, Bayam King? Okay, I haven't I seen his TikTok. Names, I haven't <laughs> seen his TikTok, uh, but uh, Bayam King is somebody who, uh, whom I actually like. He's my MP, so he's he's very much on the ground uh, and you know, all. I like so him I... and being on the ground is a good thing. But <laughs> no, we got to That doesn't mean he shouldn't stay on TikTok. I know. I, know. I haven't <laughs> seen his TikTok videos. Yeah. I'll, yeah. I will be forwarding you some. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So there's the first order of business after this chat. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Okay, so um, I I saw that somebody asked which of the front runners do you think is the most suitable to working in a collaborative manner with opposition. Do you think? Oh, that that's any? that's an interesting question. Uh, to be honest, right, I don't know whether we can really uh say at this point in time. Mm-hmm. I don't know because there is this saying, you know, that uh there is a saying that you know power power changes you, right? But I would say. Power doesn't change you. Power reveals who you are, and I think we will really know. We will really know when a person is is the prime minister, and then how. But if I were to hazard a guess, I think I can see Chan Chun Sing doing that. To be honest, uh, you know, I was at the IPS forum just before uh, COVID, so it was I think early last year or two years ago. Yeah, uh, and he was dealing pretty well with questions from the opposition. From Guming Singh, from Professor Tumbaya, and uh, in a very respectful manner as well. Both of them, the the opposition was, uh, the opposition personalities were respectful. He was respectful to them as well. So, I think I can see that I can see Ong Yu Kang doing that as well. And I haven't seen anything from Lawrence Wong to suggest that he cannot do that as well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I think rather than individuals, so it was 2020. Uh, thank you, Jonghan. So, uh, 2020. So, rather than individuals, I think. Uh, we really need to look at the party and the party party's approach and party's ideology mm-hmm, okay um so let's um keep it on a lighthearted note uh, and ask something that i think a lot of people are wondering but don't necessarily say out loud what does lee sin long see in josephine Teo? oh my god <laughs> <laughs> wow okay so okay so i think a defense of uh Minister Josephine, right, will look like this, right? I think she inherited a lot of problems that came to the fore because of COVID, right? So generally, generally, I think what happened in the dormitories, it wasn't her fault. She inherited it generally, right? And questions have to be asked of ministers before that. And that includes Speaker Tan, that includes... Uh, Minister Lim Sui Se, and I think it so happened that she was there. Now, at the same time, at the same time, uh, she didn't help herself by the answer, especially on the <laughs> apology. On the apology, I think that that answer was pretty much out of touch. Uh, and I think she probably, well, I hope she realizes that. I hope she realizes that <laughs> now. Uh, and yeah, so. 
uh, that would be definitely something that works against her favour. Now, PM Lee ever mentioned this before, you know, if a, a minister is underperforming, it is not the PAP's way to throw the minister under the bus publicly. They would only do that if the minister is corrupt or something. Mm -hmm. So if the minister is underperforming, they slowly uh, relinquish the Please minister of the duties. Yes, correct. Correct. Yeah. So we will see. We'll see whether this is an opportunity for her to redeem herself with the general public or this is part <laughs> of the phasing out and we'll, we'll have clarity in two to three years' time. So I guess uh, what from the PM's perspective, it's not that Minister Jyotio has been a terrible minister or anything. She inherited a lot of the problems. Uh, although I think that part you cannot blame her. The answer she gave, I think you can, you can blame her for that because those, those were her answers. Okay, I saw somebody say that um, it's not in the business of the incumbent to work with the opposition. They're ideologically different to begin with. Um, I, mean, oh, I, I don't, I don't necessarily... Like... Sorry, okay, carry on, carry on, Megan. Yeah, carry oh, on, yeah. Megan. No, I was going to say that like, my preliminary thought would be that, um, that you know, like, looking at the most um, like, popular uh, opposition party, which is WP, they are not that ideologically different. And, and I would push back on, on the fact that it is not the job of the incumbent to you know, deal with, with, uh, with the opposition, right? Because ultimately it's about the votes and if right now like what the climate is, is looking for is is more um involvement of the opposition then it, it does become like in the interest and kind of like the duty of the incumbent to do that right Ex excellent excellent so i i i completely agree with you megan so uh ultimately it's about the votes and it is it may not be the duty or i mean depends on how you define duty and that's a philosophical debate right uh i would say it is the duty I was, because the opposition is also elected by Singaporeans. But let's say you don't think it's the duty, it's fine. But I think it's definitely in the interest of the government to work with the opposition where it can. Just as it is in the interest of the opposition to work with the government where they can. Obviously, they will defer on certain things and they must defer. Otherwise, there's no need to have the opposition if they don't defer at all. Right? Uh, but where they can work together, they can. And even when they defer, they can defer in an amicable manner. Right. So I don't, I don't think it's a mutually exclusive either or situation. And do you think that they are ideologically very different? Well, uh, it depends on which opposition party you're talking about. The Workers' Party is not ideologically different. The PSP, I don't think, is too ideologically different. The SDP is more ideologically different mm -hmm. uh, compared uh, to the other two parties. Okay, and, and I have a question you know, regarding uh, kind of like opposition and and our population becoming more involved in politics. So do you think our country will become more divided, like, example, the USA, if um, our citizens get more involved in politics? So, like, you know, the, like if the next generation of leaders or next two generations of leaders uh, start to head towards, you know, a, a more, like, democratic regime? Right, right. So I think, okay. So one of the things I... I dislike about comparisons with America. Not that we cannot make comparisons with America. I think on some occasions we have to make those comparisons, but on other occasions we must understand that the problems, the demonstrations and the protests that happen in America is not just about democracy, right? It's also about years and years of slavery and institutional racism and people being excluded. It's about the middle class being 
basically decimated by years and years of neoliberal economic policies, right? So just to pin it on democracy, right? I think that's a very lazy way of understanding the American situation. Now, having said that, there is a possibility. I think people who are more pro-democracy, more pro-freedom, more pro-individual rights, like myself, we have to admit that a possibility is that uh, society may become more polarized. But even without that, even without that, uh, society can still become polarized. It's just that you are suppressing the polarization, right? So I think, yes, it could be a possible side effect, but it's something that needs to be done. And then the polarization is what you need to manage. Right? And one of the ways to manage it is not to call people who disagree with you as immoral or unpatriotic people and that happens that's for any side of the of the aisle so i would never say somebody who just disagrees with me is somebody who is or oh, immoral or less than human being I, I wouldn't i wouldn't say that and i think that's a way for us to prevent polarization megan i think we have about six minutes probably <gasps> Oh my gosh, yeah. okay. It's too fast, too fast, yeah. Yes, wow, an yeah. hour has flown by. Okay, yeah, yeah. since we are like on our last like 10 minutes, not even 10 minutes, 5 minutes, let's get to the spicy pressing question that everybody came here for, <laughs> which, is, which is, what is your prediction for the next PM? <laughs> uh, I don't think I have any prediction yet, so I'm sorry to oh, disappoint. I... <laughs> We're going to drop I'm to like 5 viewers. <laughs> I'm sorry to disappoint. I mean, I don't mind. I don't mind extending it, but we have to stop first, right? And then we have to come back on, right? So, uh, I I don't I don't know if I have a prediction at this point in time. But I would say that uh, it depends on how Chan Chun Singh does uh, in the education ministry, right? Uh, and whether it's enough to uh, basically re. Rehabilitated <laughs> is a strong word uh, to improve his image, public image. Yeah, I don't know whether it's a done deal or not, the, the image of him. And don't forget, a lot of people, especially people my age, their first image of Chan Chun Seng is the Kichu incident, and they haven't gotten over that. Uh, and those who do not know what I'm talking about, please, please uh, Google that. Or maybe don't, don't YouTube that. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you need, I think he needs to... He needs to uh, work on that. So, I don't have a prediction but I would say it's between the two of them, Lawrence Wong and Chan Chun Singh, at this point in time. But again, anything can happen. A week in politics is a very long time. Yeah. Okay, and people are demanding to know why you love Chan Chun Singh so much. I've already said, I don't, I don't love love him, right? I don't <laughs> think I, I don't think we should stand politicians, right? Uh, that is so hypocritical. <laughs> wait, wait, you I was going to say except Nicosia. <laughs> I was going to say that, <laughs> except that, but I admit, I admit that is completely, that I, I admit that I shouldn't even be doing that, right? Yeah, so, uh, so rationally, I can accept that I shouldn't do that, and you are right to call out the hypocrisy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but yeah, so, uh, so, so I, I wouldn't say, I, I think we shouldn't stand politicians, right? We can be fans of politicians, but we cannot be sicko fans, right? Because the moment uh, we start, we start standing them, right? Then we'll, we'll start overlooking their mistakes or being over forgiving when it comes mm -hmm. to their flaws and shortcomings. 
so it's not like I'm super super uh, in love with Chan Chun Sing or anything. It's just that from my interactions with him, I do find him to be a very brilliant person, and he's he gives uh, whatever he says he means, and whatever he means he says. So I really like that. I really like that about a politician, right? Because sometimes it's so difficult to get a straight answer out of a politician, right? <laughs> Oh, Nabila oh. says that uh, she's a new fan of <gasps> Megan. She's leaving Austin unturned. Uh, but it is so. Uh, by the way, Megan, if you don't know, Nabila was actually nominated. I think by the yes, arts. Yes, I voted. Uh, oh, you voted I as well. Okay, for her. Yes. right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, yeah. You're doing a pretty good job. You know, I think if Great. if you start a Tetari series, I'm out of business already. <laughs> An important question that I, I think we missed, sure. which is when will the next PM be elected? Like when can we see the results? Oh, oh right, right. Okay, so uh, PM Lee did say PM Lee did say that uh, hopefully by the next election the 4G would have decided. Now that doesn't mean. By the way, the next PM is not elected. The next PM is selected. Right. Yes. So we we elect the party, and then the leader of that party becomes the uh, the prime minister, right? So, so he did say that he hopes the four G will decide by the next election. Now, I think it's it wouldn't be wise uh, for the for the PAP if they were to decide one year before the election, and then the new PM, and then for them to do the handover before the election. I think P probably if they're going to decide it close to the elections, PM Lee probably would lead the party into the next election and then hand over and then let that person have four or five years to build trust. Yeah. Right? Uh, so, uh, Megan, do you want to continue for about half an hour more? Or yes, yes. Let's do you do have it. time? Okay, so I'll just, yes. I'll just end this. I need to upload this video first because I really am very worried <laughs> the moment. I, I only have one track of, of doing things. So, uh, so in about three to four minutes, so you guys can go to the toilet and do whatever. So in about three to four minutes, we'll come back and Megan, you'll be on standby. Yes, I will. Okay. All right. Okay. okay. Thank you. Bye. Okay. Bye. Bye.